With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back to WordBalloon.com, the comic book conversation show. This is John Suntress. Before we begin, I wanted to make an announcement explaining the reason why we've had some reruns in the last couple weeks. Two reasons this is happening. One, I've noticed that two-thirds of the new Word Balloon audience has never gone to the website and may not be aware of some of my older episodes with some great guests. The second reason is I had a hard drive accident and lost a couple recent interviews, and rather than have people waiting a long time in between, I just wanted to keep things going and remind people of some of the great guests we've had in the past. Case in point, today's guest, Colleen Duran. From 2005, back in June, Colleen will be discussing her work on projects with Warren Ellis, some still to be released, J. Michael Straczynski, Mike Carey, and others. And she'll give us the perspective of a creator-owner nearing the wrap-up of her long-running fantasy tale, A Distant Soil. She'll also explain her views as an American artist attempting to draw and understand the ideas behind Japanese manga. As I said, the conversation took place back in June of 2005, when Colleen was just beginning her collaboration with J. Michael Straczynski on the first book for Marvel's icon imprint, the creator-owned Book of Lost Souls. It starts off in London in the late 19th century, around uh, the late 1880s. A young man is in despair over uh, lost love and rejection, and uh, rejection from his family, and he has an artistic soul and so on and so forth and boo hoo hoo his his feels like his life is over and he gets up on the top of this bridge ready to jump over and some guy shows up with a great big book and says, Here, this is nice and heavy, you'll sink faster if you hold on to this <laughs> <laughs> So after that warm and fuzzy moment, um he wakes up, it's uh the twenty first century, he has drowned and uh, he has been saddled with this book in which um, it looks like his task is to now save the, the souls of people who were lost souls like he was and to fill this book with their destinies. It's quite a moving book. I am just sitting here working on issue three, and issue three is especially moving for somebody like me. It involves a young artist in despair living on the streets. and it, really gets to me working on this project, um, going from story to story in these different people's lives. I like it quite a lot. Is it going to be uh, an ongoing project, or is this a finite series? Uh, it's it's ongoing. Uh, we'll, we'll see how it goes. I, I, you know, I can't really conceive of a Straczynski project not doing well. <laughs> <laughs> I guess he's got the golden touch, and I feel like I've been anointed. You know, I'm, I'm signed on for a, a good period. I guess I'll be on it for at least a year. And they've pretty much given me the speech, please, 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 please don't miss a deadline. Please, please don't go on vacation. Please don't break anything. <laughs> so you're a slave to the project. Yeah, I, I think so. I think it would be hard to replace. I can't imagine there are, there are too many artists out there that, that have some of the funky quirks, stylistic quirks that I have. Yeah, this, is, this project sounds like it's totally in your wheelhouse when you look at things like A Distant Soil and Reign of the Zodiac. I mean, this is... This is what you do. This is this is great. This has to be wonderful. It's uh, it's it's a little darker than either Rain of the Zodiac or Distant Soil. It's probably okay. got more of a Sandman flavor. It's about as Vertigo as, as Marvel has gotten thus far. But 
but it's not cynical in the way that a lot of the Vertigo projects are. This one, this one has a uh, a dark edge, but it's it's a hopeful book. It's uh, one of the things I like most about Straczynski's work is the moral and ethical center of his work, and um, uh, a lot of the uh, Vertigo stuff is dystopian in, in nature, a little little dark for me, which is funny because I like Hellblazer and <laughs> Lucifer. And in fact, I just did an issue of Lucifer. Yes, I know about that. Yeah. So so yeah you yeah you worked with Mike Carey on that. Um, oh God, he's brilliant. Oh man, I was dying for another chance to work with him. I hope that happens someday. That's cool. No, that's very cool. Um, real quick with with uh, the Book of Lost Souls, is each issue going to be a separate task for this, uh, you know, man who has the book then? And, and will so far, okay. so far, I haven't uh, I haven't read beyond issue three, so I don't know where mm-hmm. he's going. Except he set some stuff up. And I'm afraid to ask, you know. I don't really want to know where it's going because sure. I'm kind of enjoying reading it as <laughs> go along. But um, uh, thus far, the the uh, first few issues have been his his different tasks. But the first issue is the setup, mm-hmm. and there's some stuff set up in the first issue that makes you go, "Oh, where is this going to be five, ten issues from now?" It's kind of cool. Uh, so I honestly don't know where everything is going to be, um, you know, five or ten issues from now. I'm kind of like, hey, but um, but I, I don't even want to know. I, I enjoy reading things as I go, and I don't want to know too far ahead. I like the surprise, and I think it keeps my work fresh. If I sit there and I mull over something for too long, I might, uh, might chew it up too much. And JMS is a kind of guy and a writer that you know from things like Babylon 5 that can really do the individual story plus the overarching theme where when you step back, it is a much bigger story, too. Oh, absolutely, and I was a big fan of Babylon 5. This is so embarrassing. I'm like, gosh, <laughs> just such a huge Babylon 5 fangirl. And about 10 years ago, I'm at Wizard World Chicago, and I'm like, oh, my God, J. Michael Straczynski's going to be there. Wee, wee, wee. <laughs> so I went to one of those big Babylon 5 get-together things. I haven't anything else to sign, so I had him sign my name badge. <laughs> and I had Walter Koenig sign my name badge, and I was, like, totally geeking out. And he goes, oh, yeah, Mr. Smith says, oh, yes, Colleen Dorna, you know, it's nice to meet you. I like your work, and I thought he was just being nice. I was like, well, it was very generous of you. And uh, I, I just can't believe that 10 years ago I was getting him to sign my name badge and having my picture taken, and now I'm working with him. That's cool. <laughs> and, and did he say any, any specific project that, that led him to, to choose you for this book? Um, he he was familiar with the distant soil, which Great. which was surprising to me. Be, you know, you always think nobody's paying any attention to you, and, and people tell you, "Oh no, I know all about that." Yada yada yada. And it's like me, really? Because I I'm kind of lead, lead a pretty low key life, and I don't get out much. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly not with my schedule anymore. I'm not going anywhere for the next year, but. Um, uh, you, you just don't think that the people you admire are looking at you. Sure. You, you just think it's all one way, and uh, I'm, I'm certainly that way. I'm always surprised when I find out somebody likes my stuff. If I go to a signing and people show up, I'm always surprised. I'm probably going to be surprised until the day I die. <laughs> it's it's just it's just a, a a nice thing to have happen that sometimes I can't quite believe is happening to somebody like me, and I'm, I'm just really grateful and of course I didn't stay in touch with Straczynski for you know the last decade and just <laughs> said hi to him once or twice I'm like oh I wonder if he remembers who I am and then about a year ago this was unbelievably kind I was going through a professional problem that was kind of 
public and embarrassing, and, and, he, and um, he wrote me a note out of the clear blue sky. He got my email from somewhere, and he just wrote me this note, very kind. And I went, well, shoot, well, that was decent of him. Well, what a nice thing to do. And uh, a number of months later, he, he writes again and says, you know, I've got you in mind for something. Would you be interested? I was like, <laughs> okay, where's the glass and the hot coals? Do I have to walk across them first? <laughs> and, uh, and then he sends me the script around Christmas, and I read it. I was like, oh, my Lord, I have to have this one. What do I have to do? And I had to audition, and uh, another indication of just how generous and, and decent this man is, he's like, I feel bad about you doing any work on spec. If you don't get this job, I'll pay you for that. Wow. And I thought, oh, my God, you know, nobody in, in my entire career has ever offered, and usually sure. you, do, you do samples for people that they're supposed to pay for them and they don't pay for them. And I thought, holy cats, this is really amazing. And uh, fortunately, he didn't have to do that because I got the job anyway. So, <laughs> so it was a big relief. I know there was somebody else, I'm not going to mention their name, somebody really good uh, for the gig. And you whooped him. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. Nice going. Oh, I thought, well, am I going to have to murder them? Do I have to sacrifice <laughs> a goat? But I didn't have to go that far. I got the job anyway, and it was a big relief. I wanted it so bad. I read that script. I said, no, man, I have to have this one. I'm so right for it. I, I can't remember the last time I sat down to do a book that felt so comfortable to draw. I, I, I'm always changing my style from from book to book, and I've changed my style on this one. Okay. But it's uh, really good for me. And the funky thing about it is in issue two and in issue three, there are sequences in them in which I'm drawing in a different style from the overall story arc style. Okay. So uh, because a lot of this is the psychology of the characters who are in despair, some of the things that are happening are happening in magical places in their head or um, their their dreams or their mm-hmm. visions, and so when I when I draw the overall story arc, it's in this sort of gritty vertigo esque style that I often use. But in the second issue, there's a very pretty fantasy style, and then in the third issue, there are sections that are going to be drawn and shot from pencil art. Okay. So um, I don't know how long we're going to be doing that, but I'm trying to give you the different flavor of the different people's inner world. Um, I hope that makes sense. It does. No, okay. absolutely. Great. Absolutely. And uh, it's interesting because you compare a distant soil and orbiter, and you do stretch in Reign of the Zodiac, and, and it's clear that you are, it sounds like you welcome these challenges from an artistic standpoint to stretch yourself. Oh, absolutely. I love it. I love it. I, I just... Uh, I, I think people think I'm either um, uh, versatile or schizophrenic. <laughs> <laughs> well, versatile. I prefer to think versatile um, <laughs> because it's got such a nice ring to it over multiple personality disorder. But, <laughs> but I was I was strongly advised against doing this my whole career. Um, I, I remember meeting people like like John Byrne and, and talking with Frank Kelly Freeze, and they said, "You've got to." pin yourself down to one style and just do that so that people will know you by that. And I said, no, I want to be known for being the person who can draw anything. I don't want you to come to me just because you want me to draw something that fits in this 
this round hole. I want to be the person that is right for every job. And I'm willing to try things that I'm not even sure um, are right for me because I think if you if you can draw, you ought to be able to draw anything. Mm-hmm. And, of course, some things are going to be better for you than others, but um, I, I don't think you should limit yourself to one look. And, and I think it can, it can not only make your work dated, but you can get comfortable and lazy, and, and I'm more afraid of that than anything. I would rather always be searching than um, feel like I've arrived uh, because it's not the, the destination, it's the journey, and I would rather just keep traveling. So uh, for me, moving from one book to another, moving from one look to another is okay. Certainly there are stylistic things that you can look for in my work that are consistent, and I think the, the storytelling style is usually consistent. Okay. And uh, characterization is something I spend a lot of time on. Body language, uh, faces, getting real emotional resonance in people's faces. But I don't have any problem with drawing things in a different way or experimenting with different tools. And um, uh, I understand why other people don't do it. I'm just thinking it's not the right choice for me. I need to. I need to move around. And um, the Book of Lost Souls will start in September? It's actually going to be in October. Okay. Uh, I think they just solicited it. Okay. Um, in fact, we were pulling for September, and I just moved. And, oh, my Lord, <laughs> I hope I never do that again as long as I live. <laughs> that was hideous. I scheduled two weeks for it, and it took two months because I had to do renovations and all this stuff. And I was, oh, man. Oh, this is not funny. I don't ever want to go through this process again. <laughs> So, uh, so it's been a grueling spring. A lot, everything's been about change this spring. I, I haven't had any stability until the last couple of weeks. So, it's, it's been exciting and uh, scary to know that I'll be penciling and inking a monthly series. Oh, that's great! Oh yeah, yeah. I, I didn't realize you'd be doing both. That's terrific. Oh yeah, I don't, I don't actually pencil anymore. I do these quickie little doodles. Okay. I don't even, you know, I email them in, and they go, yeah, that looks great. And it, how could they possibly know that stuff looks like an epileptic seizure across the page? <laughs> and I just ink right on top of it. I don't do that much preliminary drawing, and uh, I find that saves a lot of time and a lot of effort because penciling just and then inking it means you're drawing everything twice. I think it's retarded. So I prefer to just draw cleanly in ink as much as possible. And um, I also work very small. My my original image area art is only, um, gosh, what is it? It's uh, it's about it's just under eight by uh, it's just under eight by twelve. So oh wow! Really tiny. And that enables me to work faster as well. I find it uh, increases my speed from a quarter to a third. Wow. Okay. And I was going to ask you that. Yeah. How 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 long does it take you to to? I mean, I guess it would imagine it would determine it would depend on the page composition. But uh, you know, on average, how about a day? I'm, I'm pulling day. about a day. I'm actually doing uh, lately. I've been doing a little bit more than that. I uh, nowadays I work seven days a week. Wow. Um, but uh, two days a week is, is like a half day. Okay. I just really mellow, and I might only work a couple of hours. But the rest of the week, I pull a long work day. It's going to, you know, 10, 12 hours maybe. And in, on those days, I'll do over a page. And I, on a really good day, I might even pull two pages, but it's usually going to be about one and a third pages. 
but uh, on my on my off days, uh, even though I will try to work all day, you know, I'm too tired, so I just doodle in front of the TV and go, "Well, that was that was effort." <laughs> <laughs> but I I don't like to get off the treadmill. I like to keep drawing. I like to keep moving. I I take my work with me when I travel. I, you know, because it's small, you can fit it in a in a small portfolio. Carry it on the airplane. I work on the plane. I work in the hotel room. Doesn't matter where I am. I'm, I'm just. I keep going, and uh, I, I don't like to stop. I don't know why, but if you stop, it's hard to get back. No, I hear you. Let's yeah. let's talk about a distant soil mm-hmm. for people who haven't read the book. Just yeah, if you can describe the story. Well, it's about uh, a young girl who uh, is in a mental institution, and um, you don't find out why she's there for quite some time into the story, but it. Uh, uh, it turns out that she's um, got psychic powers. She and her brother both have psychic powers, and they're really an institution to be exploited, not to be treated for any illness. Mm-hmm. And uh, it turns out they're half alien, and she's um, uh, born with uh, this power uh, that makes her an avatar. And according to these alien people, an avatar is someone who has the ability to draw on the collective psychic output of everyone on their home world, and they believe that makes them a conduit for the power of God. So she's uh, born with this power that should belong to their religious leader. Only they've already got somebody sitting on that throne, and uh, the power only works for one person at a time. If two people have it, they interfere with each other like a bad radio signal. And uh, that makes her a threat to this world and their government. Uh, they use their avatar as a weapon, their, 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 their ultimate secret weapon, and she's got to be gotten rid of. And it turns out the avatar who is on the throne uh, not only doesn't like his job, <laughs> but very much, would very much like to be out of it, and he's actively working against his own government to... Uh, to destroy them and uh, get rid of their hold on all the worlds that they control. And uh, it's very dramatic space opera, lots of politics and psychodrama. So it goes on for just pages and pages. <laughs> no, it's, it's quite the epic. And, and yeah, and, it's, and it is amazing all the themes that you're collecting together in this, this one ongoing story. Um, I think I think uh, Neil Gaiman uh, said it very kindly when he <laughs> said to, <laughs> he said that the young are like magpies. He wrote the introduction in my first volume, and mm-hmm. he was talking about how it reminds him of the great epics that all aspiring creators have in them when they get started. And he said, I had one, and Colleen had one, and the difference between Colleen and everybody else is most people's never got published. <laughs> And mine did, and so it is a very, very strange even for me to read it because I'm reading these values and ideas of uh, this wacky kid. Of who you were. Of who I was, and now I have to finish it, and it's all these years later. I'm not going to tell you how many years <laughs> later it is because it's getting kind of scary. But you did start very young, Colleen. So oh, well, yeah. Well, oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I was a fetus. And <laughs> <laughs> And uh, I've actually got the fourth volume c- 
coming out. We, we've been struggling with the technical aspects of it because it's the first one we've done entirely digitally. Oh, wow. You know, doing the scanning and everything. The, the original art, all my art is by hand, mm-hmm. but the scanning and doing everything here in-house has just been a nightmare. I've never done it before, and uh, <laughs> I'm glad I only have to learn this once. But anyway. It, it, now this now this story because it is a personal project and you're able to start and stop it when you when you need to because mm-hmm. and I've seen you uh, in other interviews talk about the fact that sometimes you have to put it on the back burner oh, just yeah. to generate some income. Oh sure, and um, it's it's been really really a funny journey because uh, you know there are times when I'll spend a whole year doing nothing but a distant soil and then the next year I can only produce one issue. Sure. And uh, it's in, entirely a function of, of financing. It's, it is a cult book. And um, uh, the people that love it really, really, really love it. But it's so different from uh, most of the material that's out there that, you know, some people, are, that it's so involving. You know, it's quite a commitment to sit down and read this epic that's going on a thousand pages now. Um, you know, some people are reluctant to pick it up. And um, it was, uh, uh, you know, considered girly when it was first created, and people didn't want to touch it for that. Of course, now nobody says that. You know, they're like, "Oh, it's a classic." (laughs) Like, "Oh, that's not what you were saying a few years back." You. Longevity uh, breeds respect, and I think that's great, though. Oh, I I think it's really cute, but it's cracking me up. Like, hey, wait a minute. Where were you when I needed you? Yeah, oh, no kidding. And I just found out today that there's this um, uh, new new series of books coming out that will be going to libraries. It's a three-volume series on uh, graphic novelists, and they're featuring 75 people. And they wrote me, and they said, we, we want you to be one of the important graphic novelists, and blah, 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 blah. And I'm thinking, man, when I was sitting there doing this thing when I was a kid, I never would have all these years later that people would be writing books about it and putting me in documentaries and crap. It just messes with your head. Well, and I and I saw you in Rich Hen's uh, Tales of the uh, Mainstream. Oh, isn't and that Tales of the Small idiot? No, no, no. Now, I've seen you complain about that before, and, and you, you know, it was on the spot, and you looked fine, and, and I thought you did great. Well, the thing I like about it is, you know, it's, it's real, um, but, you know, boy, you just think, man, where's the person who does Mariah Carey's lighting when you need her? (laughs) 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 Can I have that makeup artist and that hairdresser and that lighting technician, please? Oh, man, because it was just, you know, in the living room with the spotlight. And the thing that's not on the video, this is so funny, he starts filming. My cat walks in the room and woofs up a big old (laughs) hairball. Stop, and I had to go over and clean up the cat vomit. <laughs> well, that should be a deleted scene. I think they should have left that in. That's mainstream really raw. <laughs> it was so funny. I was like, oh, my God. Because yeah, they had all the hors d'oeuvres out and nice little drinks, and everybody's having aperitifs and everything. And the next thing I know, my cat walks in there in front of all these people and yucks up a big one. Enjoy your meal. Oh, that's great. For a distant soil, and, and, and the fact that it comes out so irregularly, do you ever think about going to uh, just occasional graphic novels as opposed to the Well, you issues? know what? It wouldn't really be worth it at this point because I am just started working on the last graphic novel. Okay. Uh, the story's going to be ending in about six or eight issues okay. along those lines. 
and um, the fifth volume will end this big epic storyline. And um, there will be a prequel, which was actually, I've actually finished about half of it, it was published in some of the early issues of A Distant Soul, but it's never been collected or finished. That I will just finish in an original graphic novel. I see. But uh, I'm going to finish off the comic book series. I'm not sure how far we're going to go. You know, my we're on issue 38 now. And I think we'll go to about maybe 45. Maybe maybe I'll go wild and go to issue 50. That might take another 10 years, but um, <laughs> I hope not. No, no. And and that's going to be it. And you know, I'm not going to do this thing where I hire a bunch of other people to write and draw stories and yada yada. You know, just ugh. I, I can't stand that. Um, it, when it's over, it's over, and I really mean I'm not going to be doing, you know, stories every couple of years to revive the franchise because I hope somebody will make a movie. You know, I, I'm not interested in that. It's over. I actually cut a huge section of it, and I, oh, boy, I was sitting down with Jeff Smith on the phone one day, and I was going, boo-hoo, boo-hoo, oh, my God, this is going to take me the rest of my natural life to finish off this thing. What am I doing? And he said, well, well, Colleen, um, what is it you're trying to say? I was like, oh, oh, you're right. Why am I, why am I spinning it off and, and doing all these side stories and meanderings in, in the tale? Uh, I, I said to Jeff, I said, you know, it's beginning to fear that I'm going to end up just doing fanfic of my own work. <laughs> Which is, you know, what I think has happened with with properties like ElfQuest. I don't, I, don't, I think they've lost their focus. You know, okay. stick to the basic. What are you trying to say? I, now, there's, you know, certain things like, you know, with ElfQuest, that's how they make a living. That's their franchise, yada yada. Certainly. But, <laughs> I, you know, you can't convince me that the sequel that Barry Blair did was as good as the original material. Sure. I don't want that to happen to my work. I just want to do and complete it and say what I'm going to say. And he said, what are you trying to say? And I said, man, that's all I needed to hear. And I got up off the phone, and I went into the other room. And I, I, I know it sounds, sounds so funny. And I looked in the mirror, and I just went, Eureka. And I came running back to the phone. I picked up the phone and said, I know exactly what I'm going to do, and here's what I'm going to cut. I said, you're absolutely right. I have to keep it to its essential and say what the story is supposed to say and then walk away. Tell your story. If you're going to do anything else with it, you better be good. Was being an artist and a writer always part of your professional plan? Um, yeah. The, uh, it's it's funny. I, I I don't. I never really had any um, doubts that you could write and draw comics, or or even that women could write and draw comics. I'm hearing all this weird stuff from from women creators going, there were no women around when I was a kid. And I was like, oh, that's a load of crap. I mean, there were plenty <laughs> of women around. I mean, sure. Maurice Severin. Absolutely. And Ramona Fredone and, and uh, Mary Jo Duffy and Louise Simonson. And I remember when I was a kid getting the, the Mighty Marvel calendar. In it, they would have little pictures of Marvel creators mm-hmm. and their birthdays. And there were a lot of women in there. So I was very much aware that women were in the comic book industry writing and drawing from from the time I was a little girl. So I, I don't I don't think these other women who were claiming there were no women around or that much older than me that wouldn't wouldn't have had the same experience. So uh so I've always found that kind of confusing. But um 
I always knew that people could write and draw their own comics because for me the big deal when I was a little girl was was Hal Foster's Prince Valiant. Absolutely, great stuff. Oh yeah, and my my big inspiration to do a distant soil as a big book was from those nostalgia press collections of Prince Valiant that were published as early as the 1970s, and to me that was a seminal form of graphic novel. Every one of those Sunday pages, too, are so lush and, and just really beautiful and, and would tell an, its own story for that week, even. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and I can't remember. I may not have been Nostalgia Press. It may have been another company. But they, they published these books that you could, you could order them in, in elementary school. They had catalogs where you could order books like sure. Scholastic. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's how I got mine. And um, they were hardcover with dust jacket, and they were about 130 pages. And most of them were clips from the comic with more text. But it was a early form of, of graphic novel. And then, of course, I saw Howard Chaikin and Samuel R. Delaney's Empire, mm-hmm. uh, which was published by Byron Price yes. in the 1970s. Who recently, unfortunately, passed away. Oh, yeah. I mean, that was terrible. I mean, you know, there's so many people running around going, I create a graphic novel. I'm like, <laughs> no, come on. Let's, Set let's, them straight. Yeah, give some credit where it was due. This guy's been publishing graphic novels since I was a child and plugging away at it and putting them out there and producing them regularly for 30 years. So, hello. <laughs> No, I agree, and, I, and I'm a huge fan of uh, his uh, Starenko book, uh, Red Tide. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, they, they did great stuff. And oh, yeah. The Empire was a big influence on A Distant Soil. That's cool. It was a big influence on me. I, I used to keep it checked out of the library all the time. I didn't want anybody else to have it. I just... <laughs> <laughs> and it, that, I, I mean, there was a graphic novel in a library, you know, like, what, like 1980 or something? I mean, that was way before all these other books that were claiming to be the first, like Elfquest and stuff. Sure. That, they, that stuff predated it. I want to talk about Orbiter because sure. I, I, it just knocked me out. And I, oh, and it really changed my career. Warren, Warren Ellis, uh, there are a couple of people that helped me out immensely over the last few years, and one of them was my agent, Spencer Beck. Um, I almost left comics about five or six years ago because I was like, man, this you know, it's not happening for me. I'm typecast. I can't get any other work, and uh, you know, it's it's just it's just not working out. I'm going to mm-hmm. have to you know, move along. And my my agent said, "Nope, you got to stop thinking that way." Um, I said, "Well, what am I going to do? I can't even get an editor to return my phone calls." He said, "I'll get you into Marvel. I'll get you into DC." So he took me into New York one day and walked me from office to office with my portfolio. And that weekend, we picked up $30,000 worth of work. Wow. Said, wow, I think I'll come back to comics now. <laughs> and, um, you know, they, he said, people just thought you were available. You're so like, isolated. And people, I'm very gregarious when you meet me, but on a day-to-day level, I'm quite, uh, re- you know, almost reclusive. I live okay. in a little tiny nowhere place. You know, don't socialize that much. And uh, I'd hardly get up to New York. I hadn't been to New York in about eight years. Wow. You know, I never go to see my editors. They'd, most of them have never even met me. Wow. And, uh, oh, not a joke. I mean, <laughs> have, have, have you met Warren yet? Because I know. No. Okay, because I was going to ask. I mean, this was, Orbiter came out in 2003. 
two years later, and you guys still haven't met. We have never met wow. in our entire lives. <laughs> Um, and I, I, I don't think I've met my editors up at Marvel either. Uh, the people I'm working with, uh, I think Axel, Axel Alonso is the editor in Los Angeles. Okay. Says, uh, he says he thinks he's met me once, but I don't remember. It's <laughs> <laughs> terrible. But uh, I, I just don't get out that much. I just, you know, I'm pretty focused. I you know, do what i got to do and, and not really into living the life. I like doing the work, so I stay home and do my work. But... Um, uh, Oh gosh, they just—they just said, "Well, we'd have been hiring you. We just didn't know where you were, and we didn't know you were available." <laughs> so I'm a little bit better about marketing myself than I used to be, but um, but I still was having trouble getting the work I really wanted to do. I mean, they were giving me jobs like Power Pack, which is very cute and very nice and everything, but it's not really what I wanted to be doing. Sure. And when I got um, the job on Orbiter, oh thank God, and I got that because I'd done some other stuff elsewhere with Warren, but not in comics. I'd, I'd done a short story for Art Bomb with Warren. Okay. And uh, I think it's still up. I think you can still see it at artbomb.net. And I'd also done some conceptual work for uh, a film that Warren was working on. Okay. Um, so, uh, uh, so that's how I got the job on, on Orbiter. And, of course, when it came out, it, it did really, really well and changed a lot of people's perceptions of... Um, what I was capable of doing. It was it was a big splash not only in comic books but also in traditional uh, book circles as well. Am I correct? It, it appears to have done really well. Um, it, it sold very well as a hardcover. Everybody was quite surprised. And um, uh, of course, there was that awful situation with. Uh, yeah. Shuttle. Yeah. You know, now the book was supposed to come out, unfortunately, the week of the the Columbia tragedy. And well, actually, uh, we solicited it that week. The, okay. the solicitation came out on Wednesday, and the Columbia blew up on Saturday, Saturday morning. Yeah. And I was at a comic book show in Pasadena soliciting the book, okay. and I had this big poster that was a, a picture of the double page spread of the Columbia, excuse me, of the Orbiter in flames. Mm hmm. And we walk in that morning, and the space shuttle had just blown up. And I, somebody goes, "Oh, you just did that to capitalize on." And I, I almost launched myself across the table and strangled somebody. Sure. But um, I didn't know what to do. You know, do we take it down? Do we leave it up? Do we take it down? Do we leave it up? And people said, "Leave it up." You know, everybody said, "Leave it up, leave wow. it up." And I said, "All right." And you know, I, I, I was literally on the last page. Uh, on the plane on the way home, and I just started crying on the plane. I'm drawing this thing, and people are staring at me, and I'm like, oh, shit. Oh, excuse me. No, <laughs> I don't know if I can say that. You, you can say anything you want, Colleen. It's the Internet. Don't okay. Don't oh, worry. I feel much better now. Um, so uh, I had to redraw the last page because I was so upset that uh, I drew the whole shuttle just screw skewed at this weird angle. <laughs> when I got home, I had to redraw the entire page. So um, so we weren't even sure the book was going to come out. Well, that's what I was going to ask. Were there, any, were there any discussions between either you and Warren or you and D.C. or the three groups and, and, and deciding if any changes needed to be made because of the sensitivity of the subject? Uh, what they decided was that there would be enough time between the solicitation and the tragedy and the book actually hitting the stands that it would be respectable. Sure. And, of course, um, Warren wrote that very lovely dedication yes. to the crew, 
and um, a good friend of mine says that he gave uh, a copy to the commander's wife. Wow. And I was just like, oh, man, that's yeah. just beyond cool. Just, oh. So, and, and then, of course, when it came out, it just, it, it got such a great reception. I was so proud of that book. Well, it's a brilliant, it's a brilliant story, and it's a beautifully drawn story as well. Well, thank you. Oh, very it, much. it truly is my favorite of your works. Let's talk about another Ellis project, uh, Stealth Tribes. Mm-hmm. Um, that sounds really neat, and it also sounds experimental in terms of putting a sci-fi spin on a lo- how a lot of us, I guess, download our entertainment nowadays. Um, can can you describe it a little bit? Oh, Stealth Tribes is a dark, dark. <laughs> cynical book and um, it's it's on the back burner for a little while because um, I had a hole in my schedule to finish it last year and Warren didn't have a hole in his schedule to finish it okay. and now I don't have a hole in my schedule to finish it so uh, th- we are very close to the end I'm not kidding uh, if I had about if, if he had about a month and a half and I had about a month and a half it'd be done okay so whenever I get some more script I will squeeze it in, but uh, we're we're about 30 pages from the end. And I've actually drawn the ending. I'm, I'm waiting for the middle of the book. I gotcha. <laughs> I've got okay. the beginning and the end, and I don't have the middle. Uh, it is really, really a dark, cynical book about the transformative nature of the new technologies that we're all involved in, um, breathing information yeah. and body modification and... What are these things doing to uh, to our heads? What kind of people are we becoming? And uh, I I cannot tell you how it ends, but I'll say this much. It's all it's all I'm going to say. <laughs> Before you decide to use yourself as a model for a protagonist in a Warren Ellis book, <laughs> read the ending. <laughs> oh my God. I can't believe I had to draw that. <laughs> and that's, I'm glad you said that because you, you, I noticed in other interviews you said that, yeah, you decided, hey, I'd be perfect for this. And yeah. you found all these old photographs of yourself to use as, as models for the book. Right. It's the first time I've, I've actually gone out of my way to use myself as, as a model. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't usually like it. <laughs> like, er, you know, it creeps me out. I don't know, other people may not have this problem, but I, I just assume not look at pictures of myself, especially doing some of the things I did in this book. But um, uh, I said, yeah, this would be pretty cool. Yeah, I've got all these old big hair rock and roll pictures of me. And <laughs> I said, man, this will come in handy. And, uh, you know, I'm a cheap model. That's That's a plus. Sure. And uh, it, it was a it was a great great book. God, I wish it was coming out as soon as possible. It, it's uh, it's it's an amazing piece of work. I think it's I think it's Warren's best writing. It's of all the things I've ever read, it's my favorite. Well, it's very cool. And, and again, if if it's half as good as Orbiter, then then I think you guys are going to be in pretty good shape. So it's a completely different flavor. It, Orbiter is full of hope. I mean, I just love that book and. Stealth Tribes is clever. It's so sharp. It's so witty, but it's very, very dark and cynical. Well, we look forward to it when you guys have, you know, the free time to really get it finished because... Uh, Which it, would it, mean no free time at all because we don't have any. No, we won't. <laughs> um, Yeah, I, I'm really looking forward to it. I, I'm just... Yeah. I, I sincerely hope we can get it out next year. I really do. It, it is... 
I'm not kidding. It's his best work. It's brilliant. Did you did you read his uh, Ministry in Space with uh, Chris I've, Weston? Uh, yeah, I've read part of it. I haven't, I haven't been to a comic shop in ages. How's that for a confession? No, that's cool. But uh, <laughs> but I read uh, I read the first couple of installments, but I haven't read the ending. Okay. Well, you know, it's again. I mean, you know, hell, if, I remember waiting for Dave Stevens to finish Rocketeer, so don't don't sweat. It. <laughs> don't sweat it. See, I told you. Yeah. Um, I you know I want to get to this other stuff. Uh, I, first of all, your love for Tolkien. Um, you, you know, and, and you've been able to really contribute to uh, in, in an artist's way to, to a lot of uh, Tolkien-related projects and stuff. Um, I, I didn't know that you were in the credits at the end of one of the uh, DVDs. <laughs> cool. Oh, boy. Do I have geek cred or what? <laughs> <laughs> I am such a big Tolkien fan, and oh, man, this, my office is just like a shrine. It's just awful and um i have multiple editions of books and I, i've just read about everything and uh i love the stuff i'm crazy about it and you've done a lot of art for you know books i've done some art, art I've, I've, I've illustrated a, a, a couple of um uh, books about tolkien and, and I, i'm supposed to be doing a cover for one they, they just contacted me and asked me to do it so it's mostly scholarly stuff or okay uh, that kind of thing um uh, and uh, uh, people seem to like it. I'm really flattered. Uh, it's a tough crowd, <laughs> <laughs> and and they know their stuff. They really, really know their stuff. And they, I think, I think one of the reasons why my my work goes over with the Tolkien crowd is they know I know my stuff. I I will just rack my brains trying to to find the the details of um, the characters and the settings before I I put pen to paper. I I don't like to make a move. I don't like to make a conceptual error, and um, Tolkien's very specific, but in a funky sort of way, he's um, quite loose in his descriptions of people, except for you know they're beautiful and they have black hair. Okay. And you know it's pretty much all you get, but uh, different elves will have you know red hair or blonde hair or dark hair, and you got to be careful. If it, it it will mess with your head. So, <laughs> and I, I like drawing stuff from obscure sources. You know, not necessarily from the Lord of the Rings itself, but I, I really like the Silmarillion, and I'll get involved in that, and then spend three hours trying to figure out what color some of these hair is. Really demented. I need therapy. I think. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, I'm sure you love the Jackson films, obviously. Oh yeah, yeah. They're really beautiful. Um, I actually think I like the first one though. Yeah, I, I would agree with that, and, I, and it seems to, even though it was the first chapter, it really did seem to kind of stand on its own as well. And, and you know, the Two Towers being a middle story was really a middle story, obviously. I liked Return of the King, but, yeah, I would agree with you. I think Fellowship was really the best of the three. I think three. Fellowship was the best. I thought Return of the King deviated the most. Mm -hmm. And, um, uh, you know, I could have... You know, uh, it was the only one where I sat there going, I would have done this. Wow. In the, f the first two, I went... I understand why you did that. That was a good decision. And the last one, I was going, I would have done this. You know, the <laughs> only one where I had that reaction. But on on the whole, boy, what an achievement! Absolutely. What a piece of work. And uh, you know, I've got my extended, you know, limited edition, yada yada yada. <laughs> <laughs> and I love listening to the books on CD while I'm working. It's wonderful to have them read to you by um, an actor with a beautiful speaking voice. Who does do the, the reading? 
you know, I can't remember off the top of my head. Okay. Or in the other room. I, I'll, I'll say that um, I was never a big fan of Tom Bombadil. Never could stand Tom Bombadil. And you know, I'd be thinking, yeah, 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 you're dancing and singing and your boots are yellow. That just makes you an easier to hit moving target. Thanks for the yellow boots. Can't stand it. Yet uh, having it read to you, you um, hear the music of the language and understand the oral tradition from which the material is derived, and, and it has a, a poetic quality that it doesn't have when you're just a, you know, an idiot reading it for yourself. <laughs> so, um, so the only way I will get through the chapters with Tom Bobadil is having them read to me. But if I read it, I skip it. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen the teases for the Chronicles of Narnia films coming up? Oh, yeah, I'm crazy about it. Doesn't that look great? It does, yeah. I wanted to know what you thought of that and what, what you thought of the look of what we've seen so far. Oh, it looks beautiful. I've got, I got a couple of friends who are working on it. i got a friend of mine who's going to be a centaur in it. Wow. So I'm, I'm especially looking forward to seeing that. I mean, especially, you know, he's a great-looking guy. I want to see him with his shirt off. <laughs> <laughs> No, nah, no, that's all right. You know, <laughs> uh, don't kid yourself. You know, men have the, the equivalent of that, and I think Jessica Album was half the reason that a lot of men over fifteen went to see Fantastic Four. So um, I respect that. I'm sure it is. I Benson City. I was sitting there going, you know, because I'm always like flirting with Frank Miller and stuff like that. It's, it's totally meaningless. We're just old buddies. But I was sitting there going, like, man, Frank, how can you even stand to look at me? You've been in the same room with Jessica Alba. <laughs> <laughs> like everybody else must be floppy seconds. <laughs> See, folks, this is the internet. We get to say stuff like that. <laughs> I got to underline that. That's good. Good for you. See, you're one of the boys, Colleen, and and I say that in in a in a friendly man to woman sort of way. And I, you know, well, I you know I hear my testosterone level is high. <laughs> I don't know. It could, it could be, but. I'm sitting there like, oh, my gosh, she doesn't even look real. And then you know she is. And it's just like, oh, I, you know, oh, man, I can't wait to see her when she's 50. <laughs> Believe me, I feel the same way about Christian Bale in American Psycho. Oh, my God. Yeah, when they, sure. told me, when they, <laughs> when they said he was going to play Batman, I said, excellent. Sure. Sure. Oh, absolutely. And I, obviously, you did love the movie, then. Oh, uh, I actually have not seen the new Batman film. Okay. I'm not kidding. I have done nothing but work and Boy, move. Man. I haven't seen any movies. I haven't been anywhere. I haven't done anything except work and move. And um, I, I get a day off next week, and I want to go into the city and just watch movies and have dinner with my family and the whole nine yards and I'm not going to work that day I'm just going to enjoy myself and I want to go see Batman I want to go see War of the Worlds so uh, I'm I'm really looking forward to it but I'd seen him in a film called Equilibrium absolutely which I loved uh, if for no other reason than Sean Bean was in it but um, Christian Bale and Sean Bean in one movie <laughs> two great tastes that taste great together so uh, <laughs> It was a gratifying experience. I like that movie. And and quickly back to the fantasy films like uh, Narnia and, and The Lord of the Rings. Do you think the fantasy film boom is having a good Im impact on the fantasy comic book market? Or have you not seen a change because of, you know, Lord of the Rings already coming and going? I think it has. Um, I, I think that in dark times, and we're certainly living in dark times, uh, fantasy escapist entertainment uh, tends to do well. You know, people want to 
um, people want to get away or in some ways they would like to uh, experience the um, the moral questions of the day through um, through analogy and uh, I think uh, fantasy fiction does that Certainly. for a lot of people and I think that's why it's doing well okay um, and I, I want to ask also about uh, this this manga technical book that you've uh, you've created. Mm-hmm. Is it uh, if you would give me the title? It's how to draw Japanese. It's uh, it's called uh, Girl to Girl Manga: um, How to Draw and All the Hottest Shoujo Styles. Title subject to change by publisher at any time. The book's not going to be out for a long time, well over a year. Oh, okay. And um, uh, basically, my my premise is that. Uh, many of the, the how-to books on manga tend to concentrate on on manga as if it's a monolithic entity in one style, and it certainly is not. Manga just means comics, for crying out loud. Sure. And uh, there are many different ways to draw comics, and there's more than one style of, of shoujo manga. And um, I'm doing the book... Uh, with different sections that concentrate on exactly how to achieve a different stylistic look with the same basic um, drawing skills. And it's pretty much teaching them what I do when I go from style to style and change my look. Sure. Um, I, I have to think a certain way and develop a different set of skills. And in manga, it may be... Well, in this style, the head is a circle, but in this style, the head is a triangle. And in this style, um, you might want to use a brush to achieve the flowing lines. In this style, you might want to use a pen. This style, um, the figure is based on a normal human style, elongated. But in this style, the figure is based on a you know strange geometrical anomaly. <laughs> and um, um, I showed you how to achieve the different looks from the basic building blocks up. And it's more analytical, I think, than than some of the books on manga, which um, uh, pretty much approach it from a, a general view. And when they want to get different looks, you know, it's sort of an accident because it it's, you know, one guy putting his name on a book and then hiring a bunch of other artists to do the work. Um, and in my case, I'm one artist who says, anybody can do this, and here's how it's done, and here's how I do it, and these are the things to look for. This is how you analyze. This is how you parse things out and put them onto paper for yourself. Manga is not difficult to draw by a long shot. Most of, most of the popular styles anywhere are not difficult to draw, and they're made that way because manga has to be drawn very, very quickly. The um, primary consideration in commercial manga is speed of production and being able to produce the art in a production style uh, the same way that animation is produced. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I when I went to Japan and we, we were hosted by the um, president of Tezuka Productions, we learned um, how manga um, techniques were created by Osama Tezuka mm-hmm. based entirely on the animation studio style. And it is made to be an assembly line process where the style can be imitated by the assistants. Uh, some of the manga artists have as many as 25 assistants. Wow. And uh, as a rule, they have about three to five 
you know, for lower-level uh, artists. Uh, very few manga artists work by themselves. Most of them have a team of people working with them. And um, the people that are going to produce the really popular stuff where they have to produce 100 pages or more a month are working in the studio style. And uh, that means it's, a, it's just a production system. And uh, the, the purpose is to draw and produce and get results as quickly as possible. Um, it's, it's a pot boiler. It's, it's tough. Sure. Uh, and, of course, big difference for, for an artist like me would be, you know, I draw my own backgrounds. I, I do my own technical drawing. I, you know, the only thing I don't do, in fact, I do most of it anyway, is spot my blacks and lay down my zipatone. I, sometimes I hire my mom to spot my blacks and lay down my zipatone. <laughs> but um, usually uh, a manga artist will have different assistants that will specialize in different things. And one person will specialize in cars and guns and technical drawing. Another person will specialize in buildings. And um, another person will just specialize in inking costumes. And the principal manga artist will um, do uh, the sketches of the figure work and write the story, but sometimes they have ghost writers as well. So um, not all manga artists work this way, but frankly, most of them do. Wow. And um, the manga art styles generally follow the animation production style. Um, there are some artists that do everything themselves, but of course they're not producing 100 and 200 and 300 pages a month. And it, it's amazing, and it is that cultural divide that I think continues to separate uh, beyond the monolithic, you know, feeling that I think some Americans have uh, towards manga. Do you do you think a storytelling in the manga style? Uh, is different than you know. I mean, it certainly is obviously from a from a cultural standpoint. Mm -hmm. But but in when you try to attempt manga, you know, beyond the the technical end, is there a storytelling uh, a theme that you have to get yourself into a, a, a frame of mind? It tends. It well, of course, it's far less compressed than the storytelling um, in the American style, and um, the American style mm -hmm. is uh, plot heavy. Um, American comic books. Uh, we're primarily concentrating on getting a story told in 22 pages. At least they were when, when I was growing up, not so much now. But, um, you know, you got a beginning, middle, and end in 22 pages. And I've, I don't think I've ever read a manga <laughs> at a beginning, middle, and end in 22 pages. Um, uh, um, I have, I've actually spoken with several manga artists who said, well, we actually draw the story out because we, we run out of plot and we need to figure out ways to, to draw it out because we have deadlines to meet. <laughs> but, but you know what? There, there are a lot of American artists who have tips and tricks for figuring out how to meet their, their deadlines, too. So it's, it's not a criticism. It's, it's uh, a situation where the production of the work affects the creation itself. For example... Um, I was at the World Science Fiction Convention last summer, and a couple of the science fiction artists were there giving me a hard time because uh, they think comic book artists are all hacks and yada, yada, yada. And I said, well, well let me put it to you this way. Um, do you get a whole year to perfect a painting? I said, well, no, of course not. We've got deadlines. I said, so do we. Time is a consideration. It's part of the medium of creation. It simply works differently 
from my medium creation than yours. You get a month to produce a painting. If I have a day to do a cover painting, I'm lucky. But I have to produce 22 pages of finished drawings with an average of six images per page every month. Mm -hmm. Time is part of the medium. And in Japan, time and production level is part of the medium. And it's a lucky, lucky break when under that high-pressure circumstance you get something that's real quality. I actually don't think that a lot of manga is quality, but I don't think a lot of American comics are quality either. I think they're, you know, just average sure. yutzes doing their job. And <laughs> you know what? That's okay. That's that's the nature of the beast. They keep the... In any field. That's, that's the way it is. Um the the thing that makes me sad is that most of the manga I'm seeing imported um, are are not, in my opinion, of the best. Um, really? Oh no, no. A lot of the classic stuff's not getting over here. Um, I, in fact, I don't, I don't like a lot of uh, a lot of the modern manga because I don't think the storytelling is as good, as pure as it was, say, in Osama Tezuka's day, who was a master storyteller and stuff. Just as clean as could be, anybody can appreciate it. It's beautifully, beautifully done. The guy was a genuine master of, of storytelling, and uh, the storytelling was denser in the manga that um, I first read. Um, and nowadays, it seems like stuff just drags on and on, and they don't really have anything to say, and and. Uh, uh, it's it's just not my thing. When I do find one that's good, I'm, I'm very happy. But um, it seems to me a lot of the stuff that's being imported is just being imported to nail a market share. Okay. But you know what? That's what publishers do. That's sure. their job. They're sure. trying to nail a market share. They're not looking at it and going, well, what's the very best manga published this month? We're only going to publish that. <laughs> they don't care. They you know they just they want to nail their market share, and that's their job. Um, but volume. I'm I'm only buying a couple myself. Okay. And most of them are, you know, I think both of them are the classic manga. Some of them from the 1970s, 1980s. Well, this has been wonderful, and I don't want to leave uh, without acknowledging something you've got coming up at the end of August. It sounds very cool, and that's the Singapore Writers Festival that oh, you've yeah. been invited to. So, yeah, I, I, first of all, I appreciate the fact that we've been talking as long as we have, but please tell us about this. Well, uh, it's very interesting. It's a cultural festival that takes place every year or so in Singapore, and uh, primarily concentrating on uh, Asia. Or it, it, maybe it just seems to me that it's primarily concentrating on Asia because I'm so surprised to see so many Asian authors attending. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, I'm a total rube. I know nothing about most of this stuff. But uh, it has um, major uh, importance in that region. Uh, there are prizes and uh, the entire country uh, is focused on it and uh, uh, gets a lot of press. It has major sponsors into the hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of sponsors. It's a multi-million dollar event. Um, the writer of Simply Ballroom is one of the guests from Australia, wow. for example. Um, Norman Spinrad is a science fiction writer guest from the United States. Ho Chi Anderson is coming in from Canada. He's a brilliant graphic novelist. And um, uh, I'm really looking forward to it. I, they, they contacted me the other day, and they said, we'd, we'd like a quote from one of your books to, to put on banners throughout the city. <laughs> and I said, well, shoot. <laughs> That's kind of neat. 
what uh, what what did you choose? Oh, this is I may regret it, but my favorite quote that I from one of my books is um, hypocrisy is the necessary evil of every gentleman. <laughs> <laughs> Is you know the terrible truth of our age. Yeah. You know it's uh, never letting them know the dress doesn't make them look fat. <laughs> it's, but that's what it's about. It's about um, sacrificing objective reality on the altar of, of fragile goes everywhere. It's uh, and it, I used to I used to hate not telling the truth, but life is made smoother by greased wheels of little white lies. Um, you know, that's one train that just clickety-clacks along if, if it's on that track. So uh, you don't have to rub people's noses in their imperfections. It's a good idea sometimes just not to tell the truth if it's going to hurt someone's feelings unnecessarily. So um, I think that's a great truth. <laughs> I, I like it. I like it. And, and, and I don't have the stack of Bibles in front of me to swear upon, but I, I will tell you that it's... <laughs> This is a good place to, to, to fit, wrap up and say how much truly it was a pleasure. What a great interview! You see? <laughs> see? Nice conversation with Colleen Durant. Don't forget uh, the Book of Lost Souls and many volumes of A Distant Soil available at many bookstores, both uh, brick and mortar and online. And don't forget, lots more new interviews of Word Balloon are on the way. That'll do it for this edition of Word Balloon. Thanks so much for listening. This is John Suntress. Make sure you visit some of our other websites uh, on, online, uh, like our MySpace page, MySpace at WordBalloon.com, the Comic Space page, ComicSpace.com slash Word Balloon. We're also at iTunes, Podcast Alley, Odeo, Podcast Pickle, all the various podcatchers. Uh, if you are so inclined to write a review or vote for us at some of those sites, we certainly would appreciate it. And if you have any questions for me, I'm always available online. My email is john at wordballoon.com. Thanks so much for listening. Word Balloon is a copyright feature of Shaky Productions, copyright 2007. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.